It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Reds fans? Welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast on this Throwback Thursday. I'm your host, your cheap seat crony, your bench jockey with a beer. My name is Jeff Carr. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about Bench, the MLB Network Presents special that aired, uh, I believe it was past uh, just a couple of days ago. I'm a little behind on that. I had it on the DVR and watched it a few days past when most people did, but wanted to talk about that. And also, along with that, I wanted to look at the man who he replaced, the catcher that the Reds had before Johnny Bench, and also take a look at some news and notes in the second half. But before we get to all that, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. It is the easiest way to get your daily podcasts as they will automatically download upon opening the app. And also check us out on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and at Locked On Reds, as well as the website, LockedOnReds.com. So let's get into it. I got a chance to watch the special. It was really awesome and nostalgic to look back on his career, and also pretty cool to see where he's at now with his family, to see him as a family man. We're talking about the best catcher in the history of the game, and getting to see that old footage, that's, that's one of the best things about these MLB Network Presents specials that they have. They have all this awesome archived footage, and they could go back into Johnny Bench's rookie year and also seeing the first years of Sparky Anderson, man in the dugout, and Pete Rose and all the different guys on the team, just uh, the way that they interacted back then. And then, of course, all the television spots and the different specials and talk show hosts that Johnny Bench was on back then. Getting to see all that, that was pretty cool. You know, I didn't grow up back then and get to see all that. And I also got to watch the special with my dad. And my dad was, you know, just kind of reminiscing and reliving different memories he had of Johnny Bench. And that was kind of cool to see too. But I really thought MLB Network did a great job with that. And, you know, just watching that special kind of got me excited. We're right at six days until pitchers and catchers report. But... I'm ready for opening day, man. Like, watching that will just get you ready to go for baseball. Seeing the way that the team was, the way that the fans were at the ballpark back then, and just all of that stuff, everyone was excited for each and every game. And, you know, Johnny Bench and Pete Rose both, you know, they were talking about each and every year playing on the Big Red Machine like that. They never went into spring training thinking anything other than, we could totally win this year. And that's just really awesome. And to think that, you know, hopefully, you know, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Obviously we're not dealing with the big red machine this year, but to, to think that hopefully the reds will get back to at least being interesting this year is exciting. And to watch these old videos of the big red machine and just to remember the glory days of the reds when, you know, obviously I never got to see them whenever it was happening, but to see this old footage is just gets you fired up for the season. So seeing that special kind of got me thinking, I wonder who the guy was 
that Johnny took his spot because for every all-star, for every legend of the game, there was always somebody before him, you know, unless you're talking about the Cincinnati Red Stockings back in the 1800s. You pick up guys that, you know, maybe they were okay, maybe they were bad, but the guy that came before Johnny Bench was actually another Johnny. Johnny Bench replaced Johnny Edwards. And Johnny Edwards wasn't that bad of a catcher. In fact, he was a three-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner. He had a three-year stretch in which he made all three of those All-Star games in 1963 to 1965, in which each year he had a wins-above-replacement of at least two. And in 1964, he had a wins-above-replacement of 3.1. Really solid year that year. He hit 281. He played seven years for Cincinnati, and he bat. He had a batting average of 246 with an on-base percentage of 314. He had 53 home runs in those seven years for 296 RBIs. When I'm looking at these batting stats, you know, all this different stuff here on BaseballReference.com, he kind of offensively reminds me a little bit of Tucker Barnhart, you know, pretty solid. You're not super scared of him in the lineup, but you're also not going to see him as a dud as a free out or anything like that and then defensively obviously two straight gold gloves he was no slouch there either and then in 1967 Johnny Bench came up and that meant that he was expendable and so the Reds traded him to St. Louis in 1968 he played one year there and then he finished out his career the remaining six years of his career up until 1974 in Houston but that was kind of the guy, that, that's the guy that led into Johnny Bench. He was a Johnny himself. So it's kind of funny to see that the Reds had two Johnnies. So for, what's that, 23 years their catcher was named Johnny. thought that was interesting, a nice little throwback Thursday there. And uh, talking about Bench, if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. MLB Network is re-airing it at different times. I think I set mine to DVR. I think there was one a couple of days ago that, you know, I think this actually came out last week, so I am way behind on that. But I think it re-aired on Saturday, and that's when I set mine to DVR. And it was was awesome. I mean, if you're a fan of Reds baseball, this is absolutely a must-watch. They've got all kinds of footage from 1970 and from... You know, obviously the World Series years and just getting to see all that was pretty spectacular. So I definitely recommend you check that out. We're going to get to some news and notes here in the second half of the show. But before we get to that, I got a few ads to give to you. You're listening to the Locked On Reds podcast. As I mentioned earlier, pitchers and catchers report in just six days, and you know what that means. Spring training is upon us, and we're talking about Arizona for spring training and Cactus League action. Arizona is the home base for baseball fans. You've got the Reds, and you've got 14 other Major League Baseball teams, all within a 50-mile radius of Greater Phoenix. you got to beautiful city in phoenix and then if you venture out just a little bit you've got the grand canyon you've got monument valley all sorts of awesome things to see and do out there phenomenal restaurants and hey when you're at the ballpark the players the teams are all laid back it's the perfect atmosphere outside of reds fest to get you an autograph and maybe a picture or two with your favorite player so 
if you're interested in that, if you're looking for some spring training baseball, there is no better place than visitarizona.com slash spring training to start planning your trip. That's visitarizona.com slash spring training to book your trip today. You're listening to the Lockdown Reds podcast on this Throwback Thursday here in the second half of the episode. Just want to look at a few different things here. Obviously, we're still talking about the proposed rule changes between the MLB and the Players Association. A lot of talk about the designated hitter and what that would mean for National League teams. I think it'd be interesting because, you know, I see the positives and I see the negatives, but I I really think the negatives are really outweighed by the positives. And that's because, you know, I'm looking at Joey Votto. I'm looking at, or at least especially for this specific season, I'm looking at Matt Kemp as guys who could really benefit from the designated hitter spot. Because you're talking about some dudes who may be able to come out of the field and focus on hitting. And even so, we're we're talking about, a statistic came out, that pitchers as a whole, every pitcher that had an at-bat last season, they all compiled to bat a total of 115. That's 115 as their batting average. Their on-base percentage was 120, and their slugging percentage was like, you know, 125 or something like that. It was super, super low. Like, People are making a big deal about tradition, especially people who are lifetime National League fans. I would describe myself as a lifetime National League fan, but I'm definitely not married to the idea that a pitcher has to be the one who's batting. I would really get behind a National League designated hitter. And then also talking about, you know, it feels like it's a broken record nowadays with JT Realmuto, but there are rumors coming out that the Marlins had asked for a Phillies prospect Sixto Sanchez, which is he's rated as one of the best pitching prospects in all of baseball. So a lot of people are taking away from this that the longer it goes, the less likely it seems that the Reds are going to get him. I got a different take on that. They're out there trying to push the envelope. They're trying to see just how much they can get for JT Realmuto. I think that they've already got the offer that they want from the Reds. They're just trying to see if they can get something better. You know, they've got the porterhouse. They're trying to see if they can get the filet mignon. And if the Phillies bite, then hey, the Phillies bite. I don't think the Reds should you know, up the ante by replacing Jonathan India with Hunter Green or Taylor Trammell or, you know, Nick Senzel or anything like that. I, I think that if the Reds lose out because the Marlins don't want their Jonathan India and, you know, whoever else is in that package, then, you know what, fine. You know, I, I it, it won't bug me if JT Romuto is not wearing a Reds uniform next year. I'd love it if he did, but I wouldn't be crushed. The thing is, though, I still think it's going to happen. I, there's still nothing that I'm reading in these rumors that are leading me to believe that the Marlins and the Reds have just not been able to come to a consensus. I think the Reds are just waiting for the Marlins to give them a call. And there was a report on MLB.com by Joe Frasaro as he was writing about JT Realmuto and the Phillies rumors and all that good stuff. And he had mentioned, he said, ideally, the Marlins want to trade JT Realmuto before 
Saturday's Marlins Fan Fest. And this is something that I actually mentioned the other day, and so it doesn't surprise me that this is the case. It's just a little surprising to me that the Marlins are actually putting a clock on this. Like, I know that according to their franchise or whatever, it's a rule that everyone on the 40-man roster has to attend FanFest, but if you're going to force JT Ramuto, who everyone and their mother knows they're trying to trade, to come to a FanFest and promote the team that is currently trying to get rid of him, then that's a little silly. I think if I'm the Marlins, I don't mention it. I, you know, it's already kind of past this point, but I wouldn't have mentioned anything about, you know, rumors or anything like that to the fan. You know, obviously the fans would have heard about it, but, you know, maybe he doesn't show up to Fan Fest and they just decline to comment on any ongoing negotiations and all this other stuff and they could have let that blown over. But now it's like they've put a running clock on this trade negotiation. And if I'm a Marlins fan, I just don't get that. Like, from a Reds perspective, that's pretty nice because it feels like we're coming to a point where we're going to have a resolution one way or another. And that's this Saturday. If I'm a Marlins fan, I'm looking at that and I'm like, well, what's that mean? Does that mean that we're going to get less because they're just trying to get rid of him by a certain point? Because when you put your own imposed, self-imposed deadline, you're probably going to figure out a way to make that happen. And that's not going to always be the best case scenario for them. So I really hope, you know, I really think it's stacking up that Real Muto is going to be a red in 2019. You know, don't. Don't hate me if I'm wrong there. This is more of a gut feeling than anything. I don't have any sort of sources that are telling me this, so, you know, I'm, I'm not that important. But th this is just the feeling that I'm getting from all of the information that I've taken in about this and just kind of dissecting it and coming up with all this good stuff. And lastly, on this Thursday edition of the show, I just wanted to kind of hit on this article that Mark Sheldon wrote for Reds.com talking about the Reds loading up the trucks and sending them out to Goodyear. He's talking about the things that they've packed up, and it's, you know, all of the equipment people and the equipment managers, they've all planned out this for a while, and they take basically an hour, maybe a little over an hour to pack the trucks and get all this stuff on there, and then they're off to Arizona. And, you know, just the things, I mean, it, it sounds a little mundane, but it's kind of cool to look at. What were the items going west? We've got 10,000 baseballs. If you can wrap your mind around what 10,000 baseballs look like, but 10,000 baseballs going to Arizona, 1,000 bats, 500 hats, 400 socks, 400 pants, 300 T-shirts, 200 batting practice jerseys, 200 hooded sweatshirts, 100 game jerseys, 160 buckets of bubble gum. wonder if that's double bubble. No. Anyway, 120 batting helmets and 100 cases of sunflower seeds. My money is on ranch. That's my favorite one from back in the day when I was riding the pine. But, um... I think that it's pretty cool seeing all that good stuff. And, you know, they they were talking to Tony Walter, a clubhouse assistant for the Reds, and, you know, he said, we take extra of everything that we use. There will be 60 to 65 players in camp, so we don't want to want for anything while we're out there. Uh, you know, that makes sense. Definitely rather have it, not need it, than need it, not have it. But the good news is the truck is packed. I'm pretty sure it's on the road if it's not already there. Spring training is almost here. 
I can taste it. I mean, we're talking next Wednesday, Pitchers and Catchers Report, which there's already videos. I don't know uh, if, you've, if you've seen. I think I shared it on Twitter. But there was a video of Alex Wood taking some bullpen reps, and, man, I'm ready. Give me baseball. Give me baseball. But anyway, that's the Thursday edition of the Locked On Reds podcast. Tomorrow, make sure you download and listen Definitely download and listen to this one, but make sure you download and listen to the Friday episode because for Phoning in Friday, I've got the man who heads up redreporter.com, Wick Terrell, joins me for the show. We had a great conversation, a lot of fun talking with Wick, and we got a lot of good stuff in there. So make sure you listen to that tomorrow on the podcast. You're listening to the Lockdown Reds, your only daily podcast for the Cincinnati Reds, the best darn team on a baseball diamond. My name is Jeff Carr. I'm the host. I'll be talking to you guys tomorrow. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 